So have you ever found yourself consciously doing something that you knew you shouldn't do? And it's almost rhetorical. It's like, yeah, of course, like, you know, you come to a stop sign and you do that little California roll rather than counting to three, or you steal cookies from the cookie jar at your mom's house when you're a kid, or, you know, Father's Day was a couple weeks ago and you, you stuffed two and a half pounds of candied bacon in your wife's purse. Like, you know, we all do things we're not technically supposed to do. It's fine. But have you ever found yourself doing something that you didn't want to do? And I don't mean like going to the fifth baby shower with your wife this month. Like, I mean, things that like you've told yourself, I no longer want to do this thing, yet you find yourself actively engaging in the sin over and over again. Well, you're in good company, for one thing, because many people in this room probably have found themselves in that cycle of, oh, I don't want to do this, but then you find yourself doing it again. Well, Paul also finds himself doing this exact same thing in Romans 7, 14 through 24. He says, so the trouble now, so the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing the wrong. It's the sin living in me that does it. Now, there's a lot to like unpack there, but we'll come back to the main point. But reading that makes me wonder, you know, Paul, blinded on the way to the road to Damascus, uh, wrote half the New Testament. Why is Paul talking about still struggling with doing things he doesn't want to do? Why do we have these struggles? You know, even Jesus says, go and sin no more to the woman who's about to be stoned by her accuser. So Jesus even gives us the commandment to go and sin no longer. So why do we find ourselves in this perpetual battle with sin? Well, we and our very selves are sinful beings. In Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who knows how bad it really is? So we are born with sinful natures. You don't have to teach a child to lie. You have to teach a child to tell the truth. You don't have to teach a child to be selfless. I'm selfish. You have to teach a child to be selfless. So when we become Christians and we profess Jesus as Lord of our lives, we enter into this war. It's a war, a constant battle between our sinful flesh and our new body in Christ. So, for example, someone who does not profess Christ as their Savior, they certainly have moral standards, but they are the ones that create these moral standards for themselves. So, for example, for example, they can enter into a premarital relationship. And for them, based on their moral standards, they may feel no guilt whatsoever because they've reasoned within themselves that this is permissible for me. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm going to continue to do it. But we, as Christians, we have to give up our own moral standards and take up the moral standards of Christ. So, a Christian may still enter into a premarital relationship, but the problem now is that conviction enters into the equation. Now conviction enters in because sin cannot coexist with Christ. So this battle ensues. Your spirit is now at war with your fleshly nature, and you have to submit to one or the other. You have to either choose to consciously live in this sin or to submit this fleshly desire to the cross. And how do we do this? The only way is through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the only way we can overcome this sin. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27 says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean from your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. 
I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And this is key. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So before we get too in-depth into how we allow the Holy Spirit to do that, I want to tell you a quick story. Um, Two years ago, and actually it was like two years ago yesterday or something, because our realtor sent us a picture of us signing our mortgage. Two years ago, Bree and I bought a house, and it has been like, that's like the greatest blessing of my life because I love to fix things and like make things. I put shelving in our garage. I put flooring in our attic to where we can have more storage. I've put more picture anchors in the wall than you can shake a stick at. I mean, I just love fixing stuff and building stuff and just having this house to tinker on. And you can tell, you can ask Bree, like I'll walk around the house just looking at stuff like, I need to fix that. Need to repaint that. You see that baseboard separating right there? We need to do something about that. I'm telling you, I just love having something to do. I just love tasks. Um, but there was one task in particular that caused me a little bit of grief. So when we moved in, we have a fence around the backyard, and there's a gate going to the backyard. And but when we bought the house, the clearance was like really high between the ground and the bottom of the fence. And we have two dogs that are relatively small. So I was like, you know, they're probably gonna, one of them might be able to squeeze under, or they might dig out. So I, I've got to figure out a way to, to get that clearance up. And I didn't want to put, you know, a permanent little metal thing there. So I was like, what can I do? Well, they left a bunch of brick in our garage from the construction of the house. So I was like, but I'll, oh, I don't know what I'll do. I'll dig a hole under the fence and I'll lay some of that brick down. That way I'll be able to raise that space a little bit then the dogs can't dig through because they can't dig through the brick. I was like, easy peasy, no problem. So I went and got a big Rubbermaid trash can, you know, just one of the big circular ones, no wheels or anything, put it in the backyard, and I just start digging, start digging and putting the dirt in there, start digging, putting the dirt. And also, if you've ever dug a hole, is it not amazing the amount of dirt you dig up and then the amount of dirt that it, like, gives you? I filled this trash can three-quarters of the way up for, like, a two-foot by one-foot, like, rectangle. I, it was like, I stood there and stared at it for a while, just in amazement. Anyway, so I get my bricks laid out. I get them all leveled. I put some contractor sand down. They're all solid. And you know, you get done, and what do you do? You sit there and stare at it. You're like, it's nice. That looks good. That looks like I paid somebody to do it. You know what I mean? You stand there. I like that. It's nice. So then after I, I get done gloating and, and building up my pride of, of what I completed, I was like, all right, now I got to get this, got to get this tub of dirt out of here. So... I go over and I grab it. One more time, okay. It felt like I was pulling an oak tree out of the ground. I mean, like, I don't know how many pounds it weighed. I could not budge it off the ground. So I did what any red-blooded American man would do. You know, hike up my pants a little bit, snip down there, and give it one more good old... You know that feeling when you're about to, like, bust something in your back? That, like, pressure that comes along, it's like, I wouldn't do that again if I were you. That happened, so I stopped. So... I'm sitting there in my backyard, sweating, like feel like I may have fractured my back, just staring at this thing. I'm like, how am I going to get this thing out of here? So I'm, I'm trying to like, I'm trying to push, I'm trying to pull it. I'm trying to do that, you know, that wobble thing you do with circular things. Again, I, I can't get it moving far enough to where it wouldn't take me three and a half years to get it to go anywhere. So I was like, I know what I can do. I've got these great retired neighbors next door, the Kellys. And Mr. Kelly, I, yesterday I was mowing the grass. I swear he came outside because he saw me mowing the grass. All he wants to do is chit-chat. So, you know, I went over to Mr. Kelly. I was like, Mr. Kelly, you got a, like a moving dolly? He goes, oh, of course I do. I got a moving dolly. Come on, we'll get it. We go in the garage. 
put some pressurized air in the tires, take that moving dolly to the backyard. I took my little shovel, stuck it under there, stood on it, slapped that dolly under there, heaved it back. Felt like I could run around that thing with like, like Hussein Bolt. I mean, I, was, I didn't even go straight to the garage. I was just walking around my driveway. Like, look at me. You know, you're doing this like, look what I can do, you know what I'm saying? And it was just like the most incredible feeling. I could literally not get that thing pulled off the ground more than an inch or so. Now I've got this dolly and I'm like jogging down the street waving at people. I, I did this, you see that? You were like, mm. but, but do you see what happened? Me and my own ability, me and my own strength, I was unable to get rid of the mess that I had created. I lacked the strength to get rid of it, but it wasn't impossible to move. I just needed a helper. I needed something greater than me to come in and help me get rid of the dirt in my life and to move it somewhere else. Cheers. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Luke will appreciate that. So, the Holy Spirit is the one that helps us get this junk out of our life. And it comes through that gift of conviction that we talked about earlier. And that's what Ezekiel meant in verse 27 when he said, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What causes us to walk in those statutes is conviction. It's the war between the spirit and the flesh, the war between the spirit and the flesh that causes that conviction to perk up. But what do we do when we find ourselves feeling that conviction but still choosing sin over and over again? There's probably guilt afterwards. You probably feel bad about what you're doing, regardless of how many times you've done it. You sit there and you got your, heads in, your head in your hands and you feel guilty about what you've done, but don't confuse guilt with repentance. Guilt and repentance are two totally different things. A thief can get away with committing crimes for years and years and years. And when he gets caught, he can feel guilty about what he's done. However, repentance comes from the conviction of the Holy Spirit, coupled with that decision to change your mind about the way you think about those actions. Repentance isn't simply feeling conviction and going, oh, my bad, God, I'm so sorry. Because you can do that for years and years and years and years, and nothing will ever change. But recognizing that conviction as ultimately there to save your soul and deciding to heed its warning is what's going to change you. You know, saying, I know this feels good right now, or I know this is bringing me comfort in this time, but I know that it's bringing me harm. I know that it's grieving the Spirit of God. Therefore, I'm going to change the way I think about this act, and I'm no longer going to see it as something that brings me pleasure or happiness. Instead, I'm going to see it for what it is. It is sin that ultimately will lead to death. And, I, and I'm not trying to be all like fire and brimstone, like, you're going to die. I'm just like... <laughs> To, to show you that I'm not being overdramatic, it says in 2 Corinthians, for the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that type of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, guilt, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. So how do we do this? Well, we establish first we have to have conviction. After this conviction... We then have repentance that's coupled with the changing of our minds. Finally, it's, it's real simple. It, it's, it's about how do you spend your time? You know, I, I'm married. I have a six-month-old. Uh, I'm getting my bachelor's degree, or my bachelor's, I'm getting my master's degree right now. 
Uh, I have hobbies that are time-consuming. I mean, we, we all can sit here and make a list of things that keep us busy, and I can very easily get caught up and wrapped up in my own stuff instead of spending time with God. And when that happens, when I'm living based on the, my own guidance, the guidance of my flesh, I can easily be swayed by my flesh rather than the spirit that lives within me. And Paul wrote in Acts 26, uh, 20, he said, I preach first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all of Judea, and also to the Gentiles that all must repent of their sins and turn to God and prove they have changed by the good things they do. And I know that that's not necessarily controversial, but I know in the Christian community, we talk about like, oh, is it acts versus you know, your heart? Like, do, do these acts really matter? Does it matter what I'm doing? Well, yes, with a caveat. And let's talk about that caveat. What, do you, what are you doing to show that you've changed? You know, how much time are you spending with God each day? Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Are you bringing your problems and concerns to God rather than attempting to solve your problems on your own? And you can say yes to all those things, but don't get it twisted. You can do all of those things and still be living in sin. You can read your Bible every day and still have an affair. You can pray on your way to buy drugs. The act itself means absolutely nothing if there's no transformation in your heart. It's like Luke said last week, it's not the spirit of the law. Or I'm sorry, it's not the letter of the law. It's the spirit of the law. The simple completion of these acts mean nothing if they're not going to transform you. It's not about building a checklist. It's about building a relationship. So if, you, if you've got your, your Bible app and, you, and you've got your 40-day streak and you spend 30 minutes a day praying to God, but at the same time you've got hatred towards your wife or like your spouse or your coworkers, you've got to re reevaluate what's going on inside of me. And hear me, I am preaching at myself right now. I wish there's a mirror right in front of me. You've got to evaluate what's going on in my heart that even though I'm taking this time to spend time with God, what am I missing? What am I refusing to change about myself that is not allowing me to tap into what the Holy Spirit is trying to give me? And so for those of you who are sitting here like, I'm not having an affair. I'm like, I haven't killed anybody. Like, calm down. It's like, okay, well, well let's, make it, let's make it more uh, relevant to everyone, or most people at least. So I, I'm willing to stand here so humbly and admit I have a problem with road rage. <laughs> I, I don't think anyone knows what kind of car I drive, and I hope you don't because <laughs> I will be embarrassed if I ever get to church. That, like Sunday mornings, I'm like, I will drive very nicely. You may go on. Yes, after you, sir, please. No, no, no. I, did, I wasn't trying to go. After you, please. So I, I'm like very conscious about it. And those, and those ARC stickers are dead giveaways. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but I, I have been cut off by somebody and been so mad, I've taken time out of my day to think about, I'm gonna follow this person. Like, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna follow. I don't know where they're going, I don't know who they are, I don't know what's going on in their life, but I'm gonna follow them, but I'm gonna tell them what's up. You know you cut me off back there? Huh? Like, have you ever thought about doing that kind of stuff? And then, like, when it comes to that moment, like, what are you gonna do? Just be mad? I'd rather just be mad in my car and drive home. But anyway, like, what is so prideful about my heart that a simple traffic mistake has caused me to take time out of my day to go, I'm going to go get my pound of flesh right now. This is owed to me. You know, and, I, and I've been on the opposite side of that. Actually, one Sunday, 
Um, Bree and Luke and Jan, they were staying here because they were going to have a meeting. So I was like, okay, I'll go grab us lunch. That way, by the time we get, by the time I get lunch and come back, y'all be done, be good to go. So I go across the interstate to Canes or I don't remember, somewhere over there. And I was cutting across and I was driving through that residential area on the east side of 45. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, you know, it's Sunday. It's after, like, I had just played worship. I'm like, just at peace, at peace with the world. You know, I'm just, just driving. And I come to a four-way, and I, I look. And I start going, and I hear, I'm like, There was a dude on my left that I didn't see. I'm halfway through the intersection. He's a quarter of the way through the intersection, just laying on his horn. And so I, I, I did the whole, sorry. I know, I hate me, too. And then I, I just keep driving. You know, it's, it was a mistake. Wasn't trying to cut the guy off. Had no malicious intent. I'm, I'm just, I'm just trying. It's a Sunday. Okay, I'm sorry. But as, as I go forward, he turns and he follows me. And the dude lays on his horn. And I'm talking about for like three intersections. This guy's not like beep, 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 just beep. And I'm just like, okay. So I, I go through a range of emotions during this whole occurrence. My first one being, I'm so sorry, sir, please. Please to forgive. I'm so sorry, please. And then after about 10 seconds, it turned into like, okay, you need to, okay. Get over it, okay? It's fine. It's not a big deal. And then another 20 seconds or so, and I was like, I got nothing else to do for the next 10 minutes. I mean, we can pull over and we can have a talk if you'd like to. You know, you don't know me from back in the day, okay? But I didn't. I didn't. The conviction of the Holy Spirit overcame that fleshly desire, and I kept going on to church. So, <laughs> but remember, I was the one that was in the wrong. I committed the, the wrong act, right? I felt bad for what I did. It was a mistake, but I still felt bad. However, I was upset and angry about the way that they handled the situation, and I felt justified in my anger towards this person. But again, going back to what Luke said last week, it's not about being able to justify the wrong done to you. It's reflecting upon what in your heart is causing you to feel resentment, anger, and hate towards a brother. And by justifying these little offenses in your heart, you're making small steps towards justification of sin in bigger ways. You know, first I justify being angry at the dude for cutting me off. Then I'm justifying being angry at my boss because he didn't see my work ethic. Then I'm angry at my wife because she does something wrong. And it just becomes this perpetual cycle of justification of these little sins. You know, uh, in that fleshliness, and I know it seems petty, it seems small, but because of all this bitterness and anger that, I, that you find yourself looking for comfort in sin rather than in forgiveness. When you start foregoing forgiveness in others, you'll start forgoing forgiveness in your own heart. And if, if God can forgive us so much, how can we not forgive so little? And again, I know it's silly. This guy cuts me off and I contemplate following him and we're all like, ha, 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 I've been there. But in reality, if there's no forgiveness for something that small, how are you going to forgive bigger things in your life? How are you going to forgive bigger offenses? And if God was able to forgive us so much, how can we not forgive so little? You know, Martin Luther is attributed with saying, you can prevent a bird from flying, you can't prevent a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep it from building a nest in your hair. Like, we have very little control about what's going to happen to you on a daily basis. You can make plans, and those plans can be shattered by circumstances that are going on in your life, but you are in full control 
and how you decide to respond to these things. And the Holy Spirit will give you the conviction and lead you towards a Christ-like response. So as we close, I just, I just want to read this verse, and I just want us to meditate on this as we leave. It's Romans 12, 2. Paul says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect.